I forgot to mention earlier before the service that, uh, as you can see, I'm solo this morning. Um, Pastor Malone is, is up in, uh, in Edmonds with St. Timothy's fulfilling some circuit visitor duties, which means I'm, I'm all by my lonesome, uh, which I have to admit, I, I don't really care for all that much because first, it's, it's just like more work. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not that much more work, but it is more work. Uh, but second, I, I just like uh, that partnership in ministry. I, I like being here leading God's people in worship together. Uh, there's something about that, that doing it on my own just doesn't, doesn't quite feel the same. And, and I think for many of us, we, we experience our lives uh, kind of more like doing things solo than, than doing things in, in partnership, doing things in community or doing things as one. In fact, just a, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, I was chatting with a, with a couple gentlemen uh, who attend my Sunday morning Bible class, and we were talking about going to the bank. And maybe you're like, I never go to the bank anymore. Um, but we're talking about the experience of going to the bank and how when you go to the bank anymore, rarely do you ever have to work with a person uh, unless you actually choose to go work with a person. Everything is set up to be completely automated. So you can just have your paycheck just direct deposited into your bank account. You don't even have to set foot on the premises. And on the rare occasion that you do, if you're like me, usually just use the ATM because that's faster. Right? Dealing with people, ah, that just gets in the way. And, and we began to observe just how much our culture in America, how much society is really sort of set up in a way that kind of disconnects us from the world around us. That, that things are, are designed almost so that we don't have to interact with other people. I mean, you can sit and you can shop for everything on Amazon. Everything, literally everything. You can buy your groceries on Amazon. You never even have to leave the house. You don't even have to put on pants. It's <laughs> all from the comfort of your living room. You never have to deal with it with another human being. And a lot of times, dealing with a person, well, that usually just means that something went wrong along the way. Now, we can be often led to believe, I think, that, that this isn't really a big deal. And I think most of us, we, we observe that, that our lives are, are somewhat disconnected from the world around us. And, and maybe we think it's fine. And, and in fact, we, we might be led to believe that it's fine. Because the idea that, that I have to depend on other people, well, that's sort of a sign of, of weakness. And, and it's really kind of odd if you really think about how disconnected our world is. Because we live in this age of just immense technological advancement. I can speak with people on the other side of the globe face-to-face on my phone. It's extraordinary. But the reality is that so much of that technology that enables that stuff is actually designed to remove us from other people. It's intended to make my life easier so that I don't have to depend on anyone else. 
Now, like I said, we, we might think our lives are more simple for this. We might be led to believe that, that this is actually just fine. But I want to suggest that, that we're just simply not made to live this disconnected from the world around us. Uh, just a, a week or so ago, I, I watched this, uh, this video. It was a TED Talk. Have you ever watched a TED Talk before? Basically, someone just stands up and they give this little presentation for about 15 minutes. It's, it's almost like a secular sermon in a way. Um, and I watched a TED Talk. It was by a man named Johan Hari. And I shared it on, on my own Facebook page uh, about a week ago, which is funny because I just sort of criticized you know, some of the, uh, the technology stuff, but I, I use it all the time. And, and he gives this presentation on addiction. And, and his viewpoint on addiction, it was really very different than what we often approach. Sort of the traditional approach was, was just, if I gave 10 people here heroin for like a month, all 10 people would probably form an addiction to heroin. But see, Hari, he suggests that that's really not the only factor that plays into addiction. That there's more to it than that. That the problem with addiction, it's not just sort of this, this dependence on a chemical substance, but the problem with addiction is actually a connection problem. And he cites the scientists who, who suggest, based on some newer research, that it shouldn't be called addiction, it should really be called bonding. And, and here's what he says, this is directly from this TED Talk by Johan Hari. He says, human beings have a natural and innate need to bond. Humans have a natural and an, innate, and an innate need to bond. And when we're happy and healthy, we'll bond and connect with each other. But if you can't do that because you're traumatized or isolated or beaten down by life, you will bond with something that will give you some sense of relief. Now that might be gambling, that might be pornography, that might be cocaine, that might be cannabis, but you will bond and connect with something because that's our nature. That's what we want as human beings. You will bond and connect with something. That's our nature. That's what we want as human beings. Now, if he is right, and I think he is, then our culture and our society that's sort of set up in a way that disconnects us from one another, it's not just undesirable. It can be genuinely harmful. right? And, and this shouldn't really surprise us in the church. We believe that God created us for connection. He created us to live in relationship with one another. We weren't designed to live lives isolated from the world around us. We need connection as human beings. But the reality is, is that our sin, it has this way of turning us in on ourselves. We find ourselves less concerned with what's out there and really only concerned with what's in here. And so while we should not be surprised how bad this disconnection is, we also shouldn't be that surprised that exists that it exists. We shouldn't be that surprised when people turn to harmful things like drugs and alcohol and find themselves dependent upon those things. They're trying to bond and connect 
with something that will bring relief. We shouldn't be surprised that people who lack any sort of human connection and any sort of relationship spend hours and hours on, on Facebook and on social media trying to find some sort of virtual connection out there. It should not come as any sort of surprise to us. We turn to these things because when we encounter genuine hurt in our lives, when we find ourselves disconnected, when there's pain, when there's crisis, we're going to look to bond with something. And when we don't have any sense of belonging, no sense of oneness with one another, we're going to go and try to find it somewhere else. We're going to go find that connection with something that will solve the problem, at least for right now. Now consider this all then in light of what Jesus prays at the end of John chapter 17. This prayer is is commonly referred to, and you probably see it in your Bible with the heading, Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. And the reason it's named that is because really what Jesus is doing is He is acting as this High Priest. The High Priest was the one who would intercede on behalf of the people. He would offer prayers and sacrifices to God for the sake of Israel. And so that's precisely what Jesus does here. First, He he prays for His ministry. He prays for what God has sent Him to do. And then He prays for His disciples, the twelve that God had given to Him. And then here at the very end of John chapter 17, Jesus turns and He prays for us. He says, I don't just pray for these disciples of mine, I pray for the ones who will come to believe in me through their word. Isn't that extraordinary? 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the earth, before you ever a twinkle in your parents' eye, Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed for the church. He interceded on our behalf long before we were ever born. I think that's phenomenal. And and this is the thing, of all the things that Jesus could pray for us, of all the ways that He could intercede on our behalf, because we need plenty, here's what He prays. John 17, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in Me through their word, that they may all be one, just as You, Father, are in Me, And I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. of the many things that Jesus could pray for, for us as the church. He offers this simple prayer, Father, I pray that they may be one. And He prays this because He says that our oneness, our unity, our connection with one another will witness to the world. That when the world sees that, they will recognize, ah, yes, these are the people of God. 
Through our oneness, people will come to know that God truly has sent Jesus Christ into the world. Jesus prays that God would make the church one for the sake of our witness, so that we would testify to who Jesus is. And he says he desires this so much that he says he, he even gives us the glory that the Father has given to him. The honor, the weight, the, 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 the glory and power that God gave to his Son, the Son has given to us. That's how much he desires that we would be one. Time and time again, we see this glory of Jesus associated with the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all over John's Gospel. We see glory and the Spirit connected together. This gift of, of Christ's glory in our midst, it's that gift of the Spirit that bonds us as a community together. We have that same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, making us one. But you see, this oneness and this unity that Christ prays for, it's not just about an effective witness. Christ wants us to be a great witness to the world, but Jesus also desires that we would be one simply because He loves us. Simply because He knows it's what's best for us. He wants us to enjoy the love that He shares with His Heavenly Father. Listen to what He says in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. See, the Father and the Son, they enjoy this unique relationship of divine love along with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus actually wants us to invite, wants to invite us into that. I desire that they would be with me where I am. He wants to dwell in us. He wants to invite us into that relationship that he has with God. And as those who know Christ, we are promised that we also know the Father. We're promised that that love that the Father and the Son share actually dwells in our midst as well. Jesus prays, very simply, that we, his people, would be one. One with himself and the Father, and also one with one another, with the rest of the Christian community. Now, I'm not sure if, if you've spent much time. I maybe do a little bit more so than, than some people because I'm a professional Christian. But I don't know how much time you spend uh, looking around at, at the state of the church throughout the world. But there's a lot of disunity. I mean, there's how many different Christian denominations in our country... All of those, to me, they stand as these signs of, of the division that does exist in the church. See, just like we find ourselves disconnected from the world around us, we find the church disconnected from itself. And we can look at that and we can be led to believe, wow, the Father, he just must not have answered Jesus' prayer. 
because we don't see a lot of harmony throughout the church. We see a lot of disunity. We, we see a lot of arguments and a lot of fighting. Certainly not always a lot of love shared within the church. Now we might have, a, I think, a, a relatively high amount of unity as a, as a congregation. But we do have a congregational meeting this afternoon. <laughs> and I think we've all sat in a congregational meeting when people aren't united on the direction of the, of the church. We've seen petty disagreements in churches over the color of carpet. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. We live in this disconnected world. And and then we live in this church that instead of reflecting the oneness that God has, we reflect the division of the world. And and the reality is, I I think most of us, we we have this deep sense of, of longing for more unity, more connection with the world around us. You know, while we maybe think that we can get along by ourselves, I think if we're really honest, we, we would prefer to be in relation. We, we would prefer to be one with those who are around us. But then we feel like we're powerless to actually make it happen. There, there's just too many disagreements. Too much hurt that's happened in our relationships. Too much personal baggage to wade through, to make that oneness happen. And you know, I've been thinking about that, and and I've wrestled all week with, with what really is, at the very core, what is the good news here in these words from Jesus in John 17? I mean, we recognize our world is disconnected, and that's a bad thing. And Jesus prays that we as the church would be one as a way of witnessing to this disconnected world. But then we experience our life in the church as well as in the world as as disunified and disconnected and and far from one. What what actually is, is good about this prayer other than Jesus praying for us? Because it feels like it hasn't always been answered. But, you know, then I realized something. I realized that I was thinking that somehow this oneness that Jesus prays for is dependent upon us. I, I was thinking that, that we had to be the answer to Jesus' prayer, that, that our actions and our love toward one another, that's what would make us one. But do you know, when, when the high priest would intercede for the people. What would always accompany that intercession? Sacrifice, right? Notice that Jesus doesn't offer a sacrifice here. So maybe that's why we experience this unity. But while Jesus doesn't offer a sacrifice, do you know what comes right after this in John's Gospel? Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested. He's tried. He's he's beaten and mocked. And he's finally 
crucified on a cross. We're not the answer to Jesus' prayer. What we do doesn't fulfill this prayer. What Jesus did fulfills that prayer. Jesus was crucified on the cross to overcome the sin, not just the sin that separates us from God, but the sin that separates us from one another. Jesus dies so that we could be reunited, we could be reconciled with God and with each other. Jesus is what makes us one. We are all one because of the shared identity that we have in Jesus. We are all people who are deeply loved by God, so much so that He would send His Son and put Him in our place. We are people who have come to know and believe that there is no life outside of the life that is found in Christ. That is what makes us one. We are one because of Jesus. You know, one of the things uh, that the, the early church father, Tertullian, he, he once wrote that as the Romans, those who are outside the church, looked at the behavior of Christians. He wrote that they would often exclaim, see how they love one another. And, and it, was, it was possibly spoken kind of in jest. <laughs> Look at those Christians eh, loving one another. That's cute. You see, that love that the church shared and continues to share. That's not the foundation of our oneness. It's not the foundation of our unity. The love that we share is a byproduct of our unity. It's a byproduct of the oneness that we have. We love because we have been loved by Jesus. We reconcile with one another because we have been reconciled to God. We live as one because we have been made one with the God who created everything. May we live as one so that the world would come to know the God who has made himself one with us. Amen?